Acts 4, verses 1 through 12. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Here ends this reading. So the apostles Peter and John had been going into the temple when they're confronted by a man begging there. And seeing this man in need, Peter tells them, I don't have coins to give to you. I don't have money to give to you. But what I have, I do give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And by the power of Christ, by God's own power, that man is healed. People are shocked. People are amazed. And so Peter and John then have an opportunity to tell about the power of Christ. They have a clear illustration right there, right next to them, right around them. They have the power to to tell people about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, that Jesus, yes, was crucified by them, the people of Jerusalem, but that he has been raised from the dead again. So Peter and John, they've done this healing And then offered an evangelistic sermon telling the good news and calling on people to to receive it. They've been telling people that there's salvation in Jesus Christ. Well, now they're arrested. Now they're arrested and they get asked by the the elders and rulers of the people, by what power did you do this? I I think they're asking, who gave you the authority to speak like this, to gather a crowd like this? Do you claim that a king or a priest has authorized it? But what power was actually at work? Well, the Holy Spirit works in Peter to, to, to give him the words to say to respond. He says, By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. <laughs> this is a... Is, is hearkening back to something that, that Jesus himself quoted, but, but it's, from, it's from Psalms, it's from the Old Testament. You know, Psalm 118, verse, verse 12, verse 22 says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The one who was turned away by the leaders of his own people, the one who was turned away by the, by the people who should have been teaching the word of God, He's the one who's become the cornerstone. He is the foundation for us. He's our cornerstone. There's a <clears throat> church, you know, just 
just in town, the the, the uh, Nazarene church in town is called Cornerstone Church. And I've always gotten it confused with Crossroads Church or Centerpoint Church. No, I'm sorry. It's not. Yeah, it's not even the. It's not even the Nazarene Church. No, it's the. It's the Evangelical Presbyterian Church over in over in Brighton. I was getting these these churches confused, but but where does it come from? It comes from this. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is cornerstone for us. You know, Peter and and John they put themselves in danger. And they stay in danger. I mean, they, they don't recant. They don't say, oh, we, we take it back. We apologize. We won't talk about Jesus anymore. No, they put themselves in danger and they stay in danger because they firmly believe there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So they're telling people. This is the reason that Peter and John continued in their ministry sharing the good news in Jerusalem, like here, in Turkey, in Rome. There is no, there is salvation in no one else. That's the reason that Peter broke the law to proclaim Christ in Rome and didn't recant even when he was arrested and executed. There is no other name in, under heaven by which we must say, be saved but the name of Jesus. This is the reason that John broke the law to preach the truth and lead the church in Ephesus and didn't recant even when he was arrested and exiled. There is salvation in no one else but Christ. This is why missionaries over time have made the effort, you know, people, so many people have made the effort to teach the gospel and lead the church. It It is work. It is It is labor. It is it is busy and it is difficult, but it is worth the effort because of this. This is why parents have taught children. This is why Sunday school leaders teaching our kids right now. This is why Bible school, Bible study teachers uh, are, are, are teaching lessons. This is why preachers do the work to preach because there is no other name, no other name than Jesus. There is only one Jesus Christ. This is my sermon in brief. There is, there is one truth. There is one Savior. There is one Lord. Actually, those are my sections. No. There is one truth. There is one Savior. And there is one Lord. There's one truth. Let me start with that. <clears throat> uh, truth is actually absolute. This is, this is foundational to our, to our thinking. This is, this is how we understand the world. Uh, mathematics doesn't work as a as a system if if we can't establish that that two numbers added to e- to each other equal another number. <laughs> now science science I don't know much about science, but I know that what is true is true. An atom with two protons is always a helium atom. It's not sometimes beryllium. It's always a helium atom. It's it's things are true and they stay true. Things are true universally. You know the 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 um, <coughs> the date in which you're born remains the same whether you're whether you're you're living in Michigan or living in in Colorado or living in Korea. Facts don't change by circumstances. There's a there's a, there's an analogy. There's a there's a story that that people use. Maybe you've maybe you've heard it. They say that that religion is like this. Religion is like this. Uh, an elephant came to a village, and a group of blind men all came up to the elephant and touched different parts of the elephant. And one said, "Oh, this 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 is like a tree. This this creature that we're t- touching is is like a tree because t- he was." touching the, the, the elephant's leg. 
Or you say, oh, this, this, this is like a, it's like a hose because he's touching the trunk. Or, oh, no, this is, this, this is hard and sharp like a branch this, because he's touching the tusk. And so the idea is, oh, you know, religions. These are like different religions and, and Christianity and Islam and, and Hinduism are all getting different different parts of the truth of who God is, but really we're just we're just blind groping around. We only get a little bit in each religion. It's a terrible analogy for a couple of reasons. First of all, because who's telling the story, right? I mean, whoever is telling the story is someone who actually sees the whole elephant and identifies it correctly as, as an elephant. So there's someone here in this, in this analogy who knows the truth. But the other reason is, is that, is that we, we don't believe that we're, that, that we're just, that religion is based on us reaching out to God and kind of grasping and, you know, guessing of, of what God is like. No, we believe that our religion is, is from God speaking to us. It's not us us touching the the tusk of the elephant. The elephant speaks. <laughs> the elephant speaks. It's not a case of multiple people groping around for for the same thing. No religion is not like that. No religion believes that it is like that. Christianity doesn't doesn't understand itself that way. Islam doesn't understand itself that 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 way. This uh, this this idea is is not something that Christians believe. There's there's no there's no elephant with blind men. There's one truth. We believe things that things are true or they aren't. We believe that Christianity is true, that the gospel is true, or we don't. Right? It, it either it is true or it isn't. There isn't some there isn't some in between. There isn't some some way in which this this gets a little bit of God, but also. Also, Buddhism gets a little bit of God. No, these are contradictory ideas. One is true or it's not. Two things that are contradictory can't be true at the, at the same time. I, I say this and I, I think we all hear this and we're all like, yeah, I mean, of course. Yeah, you know, we're on, we're on the same page. Got it. You know, this just makes sense. But but we also at the same time have, have this worry that, that treating things about treating things as absolute truths means that you're angry or belligerent. You know, I and I I wanna be I wanna be completely open about this. It is not uncommon for people who treat things as absolute truths to also be angry and belligerent. This there there is a reason for the trope of the you know, a, the angry Christian. People who are most most confident in things sometimes are are the grumpiest about it. But it's not how we're supposed to live as Christians. No, as Christians, we know what's true, but we're not mad at anyone about it. <laughs> Peter and John, they don't come before the council here and say, oh, you know, well, you know, we, we're pretty, we think that, that Jesus rose from the dead. We, we might be wrong. You know, maybe he rose just a little bit. You know, who Who knows? No, they don't say that. <laughs> they said Jesus rose from the dead. We're, we're witnesses to that this is this is true. There is one name, one name, only one name. There is salvation in no one else. There's one name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. Just one. That's it. But they're not angry about him. At them about it. They're not angry at the elders. They're. <laughs> They arrested them, but they're not angry at them. 
they're not angry about them because they're not worried about defending this, you know, about, about, they don't have to be angry about it. But what's true is true. Either Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't. Either he is God or he isn't. You should have respect for people who think differently than you, but, but that doesn't mean that you hold on, hold your own beliefs more weakly because they disagree with them. You respect people who, who totally disagree with you. I mean, you know, if you, you should not expect somebody else to, because they respect you, to, to you know, not, not hold their, their opinions. If, if you have a friend who's, who's Muslim, you don't expect them to stop being, being Muslim, so why would you be less of a Christian in order to be friends with them? You don't need to do that. There is one truth. Truth is universal. This is this is just how this is just how God has created the universe. We need truth to be universal for for mathematics or science or computer science to work. The world doesn't work if if things that are true aren't or are only kind of true. But the word universe does work because they are there's one truth. And the one truth that Peter and John are telling us, that they are telling, that they are witnessing to us, that we hear today from Scripture is that there is salvation in no one else. There's one Savior. There is one Savior. Now, I want to posit that we need saving. See, there's, there's this crippled man who's, who's there in the, in the temple, or there before the temple, and he's, he's healed by God by a miracle. But you know what? He's not the only one who needs saving. Peter and John need saving. The elders and scribes and the high priest, they need saving. What do they need saving? You know, maybe they don't need saving in their, their physical health being, being restored right then, but, but they need to be saved from the confines of mortality. We do too. Death comes for all, right? <clears throat> Death comes for all. We need we need to be saved from that. We need to be, there's we can't save ourselves from that, and we also need to be saved from our sins, because if we are to live forever with God, we we don't want to be living in a way that 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 we hate, living in a way that that we when we really think about it, we recognize is broken. We don't want to be living forever, racked by guilt and tempted to continue to, to sin against God and neighbor. We need to be saved from the confines of mortality. We need to be saved from death. We also need to be saved from sin. Who can do that? Who can do that? Jesus can. Jesus saves us from death. Is your body feeling broken? His was too. You're facing death? He defeated it for all who are in him. This this Saturday we're gonna we're gonna hold a service of a memorial service for you, Ellen Voss. And that's it's a recognition of, of our, our, our sorrow in missing her and, and being separated from her, but but it is also a service of witness to the resurrection. Witness to Jesus' resurrection, and in his resurrection, knowing that, that Ewellen will be raised from the dead, too. That Jesus has defeated death 
for her. He saves us from death. Jesus saves us from our sins, too. I mean, you know, guilty? Yeah, we, we actually are. But he pays the punishment. He declares us clean, even when we haven't been. By his wounds we have been healed. And we're tempted to keep sinning. Well, his spirit sanctifies. The Holy Spirit actually works within you to make you more holy. That's the salvation that we need. Peter and John, they've been they've been preaching to all these people. They've been they've been evangelizing to all these people. There's an invitation for them to trust in Jesus Christ for, for salvation, because there's salvation and no one else. It's accepted by five thousand men plus others. But sadly it's rejected by the elders and scribes. Yeah, Jesus tells a story during his during his earthly ministry. This parable of a man who's who's attacked and beaten by robbers and left alongside the alongside the road and a priest comes by and passes by on the other side and a levite comes by and passes by on the other side but a samaritan a samaritan someone who's outside the people who's more or less outside the people of god comes by picks the man up tends his wounds brings him to an inn leaves him there and pays the pays the, the innkeeper to, to care for him and if it costs more he'll pay more when he returns. Yeah, and Jesus Jesus asks who was a neighbor to that man? Well the Samaritan was. Who should we imitate? Imitate be like the Samaritan. But you know you know what else the parable also means? You know what people had accused Jesus of being? They called him a Samaritan. The good Samaritan is Jesus. Where does the Samaritan drop the man off to be cared for by another and then promise to return and repay what is owed? Jesus is coming back. The good Samaritan is Jesus. He saves that man. Yeah. Who do we look to for salvation? Do we look to a, a priest who, might let, who may let us down? Do we look to a Levite who may let us down? Do we look to the good Samaritan, Jesus Christ? He does not let us down. There is no other name given among men under heaven by which we may be saved. As a man exhausted by the side of the road, feeling terrible over the things he's done, dismayed over a future he knows is short because his health is failing, who saves him? You know, is, it, is it a coach who tells him to start a fitness and wellness program or he's just lazy? <laughs> is it a positive speaker who tells him he's actually fine, should stop being so negative? Or is it the Son of God who gets down in the ditch with him, tends his wounds, forgives his sins, and brings him to a future of healthy, whole, eternal life? There is salvation in no one else. There is only one truth. None other saves. You know, there are other religions that offer forgiveness in terms, uh, in, in return for, for some deed. There are other religions that offer improvement by saying, just work for it. There are other religions that offer perfection by pretending that okay is good enough for forever. Islam says that salvation is found from submission to God. Modern Judaism in being part of a particular ethnic group. Liberal religion says that salvation doesn't matter because everyone is fine as they are. And there are so many different non-religious worldviews with so many things in them. There is so much human intelligence in other religions and worldviews, but there is one thing that none except Christianity has. 
Jesus, who died so we can be forgiven, rose so we can live forever, and sent his Holy Spirit so we can follow him as Lord. No other religion has Jesus. Not like that. Some of the religions say that they have Jesus. A Hindu college classmate of mine once told me that, that he understood that there were some Hindus in, in India who worshipped Jesus. Surprised me a lot. But what he meant by that, he explained it, was that there were some people who would offer a prayer to a shrine dedicated to Jesus for ask for help with this or that, and then go next door and offer the same prayer to Ganesha. In other words, Jesus is one of many gods, many deities who can be asked for help, and then you, you just see who happens to answer. That's not who the Christian Jesus is. He's not one of many spirits, one, one, you know, one of which might be useful to you. In the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, it is my only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And why? He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. There is salvation in no one else. The Jesus who loves me and gave himself for me. There's no other religion, there's no other worldview that can point me to him. There is one truth, there is one Savior, and therefore there is one Lord. There's one to follow. One Savior, and there are implications. Jesus has saved you, so follow him then. Obey him then. Evangelize those of other religions. Share the gospel even with people who, who have another religion. Do it respectfully. You'll be curious. Be humble. You don't know a lot about every other religion. But you know Jesus. And he's worth following. Share that. I would that the elders and scribes had, had repented and followed Jesus then. But we can follow Jesus. We can obey Jesus. Confess your sins and believe that you're forgiven. Write your sins. You're not alone in, in trying, to, trying to improve, trying to do better. Because the Holy Spirit works within you, and fellow believers are alongside you. Love God and love your neighbor. Show that love. Express that love. Practice that love. Nurture that love. Jesus is worth following. The way he says is narrow. But it is good. It is right. Jesus who leads us is true. There is salvation in no one else. Amen.